everyone. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host of the most, as always, Adela Marcy, waking up from a ridiculously weird nap and still delivering like a boss, because that's what we do here. Today, we, I am pleased to bring you a guest I've been trying to get on the show for a while because of just scheduling and my own ridiculousness and everything else. We've had to move things around, but thankfully, they're here. Uh, and you guys are going to have a lot of fun today. The one and only Courtney Peacock is in the house. Welcome to the show, Courtney. Thank you for having me. Ah, thanks for being here and putting up with my random rescheduling. Always the best stuff, right? But that being said, um, real quick before we get started, please go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe to the show if you haven't done already, as we release every Friday. And also, please go check out CourtneyPeacock.com. Just book that book part. Sorry bookmark that page because you will need it by the end of this show because you will be running over there to opt in. I'm telling you this is going to be insane. So Courtney is a world-class expert on stress release and of course high performance uh, and how it basically works in every single area of your life, specifically around how to create harmony in those systems between personal business life and how to essentially realize stress is nothing more than um, an outward symptom of everything else that's going on underneath and how to overcome those internal systems uh, by setting better boundaries. And of course, that's something we all need more of because uh, we suck at setting boundaries most of the time. Either we're way too harsh or way too soft and that just leads to conflict and baby town frolics. So with that being said, I'm going to shut up. Welcome to the show, Courtney. Thank you so much for having me. It's so to be here. Uh, likewise. So right off the bat, I got to ask, where, what was the inspiration to go from like, like how did you get around to this point like where you just knew stress needed to be dealt with in the way that you deal with it so it was kind of a slow progression from my own personal experiences and then becoming a health coach so um essentially the very beginning of all of this was my own experience with anxiety i was diagnosed from a really young age as having an anxiety disorder being put on medication and never really being asked um, like what was going on in my life or like what I was eating or how much I was moving my body and specific to me, how much alcohol I was drinking. Um, so I spent years of my life in this like really crazy cycle of um, using substances to dull my anxiety and my social anxiety, but then obviously kind of throwing gasoline on the fire by doing so. Mm -hmm. And so when I stopped drinking, it really illuminated how much of my anxiety was caused by not having coping mechanisms in place to manage stress. So that was the first kind of layer being peeled back. And then the second was becoming a personal trainer and a health coach and um, really diving deep into realizing how many of my clients needed help with anxiety and stress management, and then their fitness goals and health goals kind of fell into place. Um, like I had quite a few clients who were doing everything right, you know, like they were eating well and exercising three to four times a week. And it wasn't until we were able to really manage their stress that they started to kind of achieve their ideal body or their ideal energy or whatever they were after. Um, and then that evolved once again, kind of organically into business coaching, because I just kept having entrepreneurs come to me wanting help with stress management and so much of business um, kind of requires a skill set around seeing challenges as opportunities and managing yep. your stress. So it, it was kind of the perfect fit. So that's the gist. That's pretty cool. So I've only got to ask this, like what type of substances were you using? And the reason I simply ask is because there is a underlying theme that we have in our life where we think, 
oh, this substance isn't harming me. And then you realize the long-term damage, whether that's alcohol, whether that's marijuana, whether that's cocaine or whatever it is. I mean, some drugs we already know are inherently bad, like cocaine, uh, meth, and of course, heroin, that kind of stuff. But people abuse good drugs as well for you, stuff like okay. microdosing on mushrooms, LSD, because uh, weed, micro, oh, so weed, ayahuasca, DMT, L, basically any psychedelic for me falls in the healing category. Right. But it's being abused by a lot of people. So I'm curious what it was that was, um, I'll, I'll stretch this question better. How did you know you were abusing them? Right. So that's really interesting, actually, to make the differentiation, because for me, it's specifically too, I view my um, sobriety from alcohol is like very separate from a lot of other, the yeah. way other people view kind of like drugs and alcohol in one category. I'm similar to you where <laughs> psychedelics, I think, are kind of in their own um, league. They have their own realm. world. And yeah. if you learn about them and use them properly, they can be tools. So I think mm-hmm. something very interesting to be distinctive about is understanding the difference of any substance being a tool or being used um, as a coping mechanism or as an escape. I think that even with ayahuasca, you could argue that like for people using it as an escape, it's probably not the best tool um, versus like enhancing, you know, their experience or opening their mind. So for me, it started with alcohol um, in like high school. I started drinking really young and it actually wasn't until my late twenties where it evolved into um, like a wide variety of substance abuse. I was exposed to a party culture down in Austin, Texas that was like none other. (laughs) And um, it was just kind of everywhere, like cocaine, Molly. um, Those were like the two main ones. I never really got into any, like, like you said, like, hard drugs never tried to go or anything yeah um, I, was, I say because i think everyone kind of like thankfully the people of our generation kind of gone to the point it's like oh no 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 we've seen what that does 70s right. and 80s you guys can keep that yeah. we'll take the good ones <laughs> <laughs> and thankfully i never got into taking any painkillers or anything either i think that could have made me go down a whole nother rabbit hole but um it was really alcohol, like hands down alcohol is the thing for my chemistry personally, that just does not align with like the person I want to be. And the, um, it really, I always say that it was like my way of procrastinating my life. Cause it would just make me so hungover that I like, couldn't do anything. So all my fears of failure and fears of what would happen if I was successful and all these things like were just taken off the table completely. Um, and so really that was like the, the most significant thing for me. Like I live in Oregon, weed's legal here. I still eat gummies every once in a while. Like, oh, um, <laughs> I, I am so envious of that because in the UK we don't, but then again, I come to a stop with all my stuff in September. So. Right. Yeah. yeah. But so uh, just about, yeah, finding like what your own, I think radical honesty with yourself with this stuff is so important because anything technically can be used as a tool. Um, if coffee. You, Coffee's right. a great example for totally. that. Side note for everyone listening to this, you coffee addicted coffee heads. I love you guys. I was going to call you assholes, but I was like, no, I don't actually want to call them assholes because I love them. They're lovely. Uh, Stop drinking coffee in the morning. Start having it at 2 p.m. Like seriously, if you look at the body chemistry and how it works biologically, you're not supposed to have coffee until 2 p.m. Right when you wake up. Yeah, because your body has natural, uh, it has natural hormones to wake you up. So when you flood your system with coffee first thing in the morning, caffeine, what you're really doing is forcing those natural uh, hormones to go into overdrive. And because mm-hmm. they're in overdrive, by the time it is 2 p.m., rather than that 
late stage second round, second wind coming, you now need another coffee just to power you through. But what you're doing now is when you step away from coffee, your hormones are so out of whack, they need about 21 days to fully recover, but they need about seven before you start seeing a result. Once you come off of that and start setting your coffee cycle from like 2 p.m. onwards, you'll realize A, you're spending less money on coffee and less time drinking it, and B, you're having a sounder day and uh, more sleep in the night. So you're not actually overly exerting yourself throughout and you're not waking up tired because I don't know if you've ever noticed this, a lot of people drinking coffee wake up tired. Yeah, like, I'm not totally a coffee. Agree. I'm not. I'm not a coffee person. Never have been. Thankfully, like, I love I'm, coffee. But I'm very sensitive to it, so I have like you know a half a cup and then I'm done. Otherwise, yeah. I'm just like, oh. <laughs> I'll get. I'll get off my soapbox of coffee. Hey, I say this as someone that loves putting coffee in other things, like because I like coffee flavored stuff. I just don't like coffee itself. It's the weirdest thing. <laughs> the worst part is that, like in my head, I'm like, coffee smells so good. And then I sip it. I'm like, why would you lie to me? <laughs> but then again, I have overly sensitive taste buds and I'm the one person like, so you guys, I hope you guys can know my ethnicity by now because there's photos everywhere of me. Um, I should totally be okay with onions considering all my heritages love onions. And I'm the one dude in my entire family that onions just, we don't vibe. Like onions and I just do not get along. <laughs> so funny i can eat onion like red onion like an apple i love it so much oh my god see that i think i found the best analogy for what onions smell and taste like to people like me it literally tastes like cow dung like oh, that wow. that's that's what's in yeah, it's like a, you know like with cilantro how it tastes and like so for some people the genetic variant i wonder if it's similar yeah, it, it, it's not a huge, it's a really rare case, but it's also because my sensitive, my uh, taste buds are really sensitive. So I can actually taste the poison inside onions because they do, they are poisonous to humans. They are like in large enough quantity, they will kill you. But the quantity right. to eat to kill you is kind of insane. So yeah. you got, it's like mushrooms, like the amount of mu- like psychedelics, psychedelic mushrooms right. you would have to eat to kill an OD on is <laughs> a lot. It's like two and a half tons of mushrooms to kill you. I'm like, I don't think anyone wants to do that. But anyway, uh, side noting, but kind of coming from that same position of knowing exactly what your stresses are. And I agree, alcohol is probably one of the worst ones because it has a lot of long-term negative effects on the body. Um, right. But like we said- it's poison. Yes, it is. It's a depressant. What really yeah. makes me laugh, and again, some people I know that may listen to this may feel personally attacked, and I'm sorry if you feel like you do. I'm not talking about you, but I find it always interesting with people that have heavily uh, that have depression drink an anti uh, drink a depressant. Totally, it's I like, think that should be like more. I'm shocked actually that more um, psychiatrists and whatever will just prescribe medication but won't actually ask about alcohol abuse because it's. It truly is like throwing gasoline on a fire for anxiety and depression. It's yeah. wild. What's even crazier is when people take antidepressants while drinking alcohol. Do you not see the irony, people? <laughs> like, I'm on my soapbox right now about this because there's people I've loved in my life that have actually done this and they've gotten more depressed as they've gotten older. I'm like, you're just adding more stuff. Like, have you tried remove? They're like, but I like the taste. I'm like, yeah, but the amount you're drinking. Right. Like, I know you have a high tolerance. I know it's not alcohol abuse to you, which is fine, but look right. at what it's doing to your genetic system. Because like, like um, we're so conditioned to disconnect alcohol from having negative effects in our society because it's so normalized. But I don't think, I mean, half the times my clients won't even 
realize that there's any connection to anxiety and depression with alcohol, even though it's like, we know it on paper. I don't know. It's really interesting how we've been kind of conditioned to it. And also it's really strange that weed marijuana itself is considered evil still by many people. While if you look at from its ancient perspectives, all the way down to uh, China, we're using it in their medicines like 2000 years ago. And you're like, yeah, this plant isn't evil if you know how to use it, because yes, there are psychedelic effects, but you can take away the psychedelic effects and have CBD, which has the same kind of good for you without actually harming you and getting you high, because it doesn't alter your state of mind. Anyway, we're kind of going like a weird diatribe here around like drugs and alcohol, which is fine. But what I'm getting at here and how it relates to stress is um, I've actually realized this in my own body. It's when you start using it for the wrong reason. So for right. me, I started to use, um, I became an excessive user of marijuana after my pa- my father passed um, as a way of just dealing so I can get on with my day to day. In some senses, and this is where I'd say, some people could look at that and go, you became an abuser. I was like, but I didn't. Because the thing is, it didn't stop me doing what I need to do on a daily basis. It helped me manage my emotions rather than breaking down fully and like, going on this weird like diatribe not being able to do anything and feeling depressed for three months it was like i managed like just get over that hump so i could like my work hump and then i could get there and be like right now we can go to therapy again and relax because we're in the middle of a pandemic and no therapy offices are currently open (laughs) well not many but kind of like uh going back from that how did you start realizing that it was boundaries that really need to be set in order to create freedom because the problem people have is you touched on it very uh just a couple of moments ago people have a hard time getting radically honest with themselves and radically honest with setting their boundaries because they feel like other people can't handle them. This is something I have found in my own life and other people's lives is they feel like the other person isn't able to handle who they are and how they feel. So my question to you is how did you come to the conclusion of what boundary setting is and how does someone become more radically honest with themselves? Loaded question today. That's such a good question. Um, I think again, it comes down to this like self-trust concept of like knowing that you know, like really the only person who knows what's best for you is yourself. But I think so many people don't actually know what's good for them. And so they turn to other people for the answer. So that's like a, a big conversation in like, you know, the recovery space is that to be sober, you have to be sober from every single substance that could alter your state of mind or your being. And I disagree with that because of this concept of self-trust and radical honesty, because I think that, like you said earlier, the intention behind the use of these things is so crucial. So knowing yourself well enough to know, you know, the reason behind, like I, I've been sober enough long enough now with drinking that like, I feel like I could probably reintroduce it, but I don't want to, you know, it's like, my intentions would be really important there of like, why, you know, am I having a glass of wine to enjoy the wine and like, you know, better my experience for the evening? Or am I trying to escape the stress and not think about the day and all that? So knowing the difference of um, why you're using something, the real reasons behind what you're gaining or losing from it, um, and then understanding yourself well enough in order to know what boundaries um, need to be set. And your question about people feeling like um, the other people can't handle it, it's such a, that's such an interesting way to put boundary setting because probably the biggest issue that I come to with my clients with setting boundaries is their fear around how other people will react. So it really has nothing to do with what 
how their life will be better or how much more peace they'll have or anything. They're always thinking about the other person. And nine times out of 10, this is like a, I'm not a psychologist, so I'm not going to claim to be, but I do think that it has something to do with so many of us are conditioned from a young age to be kind of hyper aware of how we affect others or how like our behavior is going to impact others. And so people worry so much of like, you know, I'm not going to, they're not going to be okay, but it's like, they're going to be just fine. Like they're thinking about themselves too. And literally nine times out of 10, people are so much more understanding than you could ever imagine with boundaries. And when they're not, like, I just coach my clients to kind of be transparent and help those people set better boundaries too. And then it's like a learning experience for everyone, you know? I I agree. And just to go back, you can psychologically can track this. It really comes down to our upbringings as people. Because think about when you're a kid, especially in the Western society, it's like you have to always be conscientious of everyone around you. And you get told from a young age, well, you wouldn't like it if someone did that to you now, would you? And then immediately you run through everything you do through this filter of like, but would I like that? And of course, you now project your own internal insecurities on other people. I had I had this very recently with a friend of mine who was going through some stuff and they're like, oh, you know, well, this, that, they were having a huge conversation about how they felt. And I was like, you could just tell me how you feel. Like, yeah, but I was like, you're assuming that my response will be the exact same response as you just because I don't feel a certain way, just because you don't feel a certain way about something doesn't mean I'm going to share that. And just because you feel a certain way doesn't mean I'm going to get offended because it's an opposite to how I feel. If anything, it opens up a discourse for us to have a conversation around it. Yeah. And understand each other better. And like, I can't tell you how many times you talk to someone and they say, well, my dad thinks this of my business or of me, you know, and then you're like, well, did they say that? And they're like, no, they never said that. And it's like, they might not think that at all, you know, (laughs) but we're conditioned to just have all of these assumptions. And it's, it's really fascinating. I think boundaries help you kind of break that, that barrier open and start having better dialogues with the people around you um, to communicate more clearly. See, you know, it's really interesting about that when you say that my dad for the longest time, uh, he did not like my business. And the running joke was um, like one of my best friends who was like, I love hanging out with your parents. But then your dad every so often goes, so tell Adel to get a real job just every single time. It was so it was so funny Um, because the other things I grew up like I grew up most of my own Muslim. So um, what's really funny is that like I I came up with the greatest argument at 18 years old to like Mm -hmm. justify my own business with my dad. I'll I'll tell you what it is because it's just so humorous to me. Um, This is why you never debate me because like especially when it comes to stuff because I will find a way to win like above board. I won't cheat, but I'll just find a way to win. You'll be like, damn, I can't outdo his logic. It's like, yeah, you can't. I'm a logical mofo as well. Creative yet logical. Um, but anyway, the whole thing with my dad was right up until he passed. And this is like something that really made me happy is I knew my dad was proud of me like before he passed, because while he was in the hospital, he was telling everyone, nurses, staffing, this, anyone that spoke to him, I'm really proud of my son. You need to go check out his YouTube channel. This is his YouTube channel. I was like, what that like? So I was like, oh my God, dad, it's amazing. Because uh, when I met his doctors, uh, my dad passed of a heart attack, um, by the way. Um, there is some misinformation though. Some people put another, oh, he died of COVID. My dad overcame COVID. He died of a heart attack. He had a faulty heart prior anyway. Uh, just putting that on record for anyone that might be wondering. Um, but specifically what ended up happening was uh, 
that that was really cool because I met his um, doctor and she was even told was like, oh, you're adult. Okay, cool. So good to meet you. Your dad wouldn't shut up about you. I was like, oh my God, this is weird. I got like a bunch of new followers because of my dad. I was like, it's crazy. But um, what I was getting at with my pops, so this logical argument was using, because my we, we grew up religious. So my dad was like, you know, you need to do this. You need to listen to me. So my only response was dad. You believe in predestined fate as we do as Muslims. Like it is one of the articles of our faith is that we believe in predestined fate, that everything is planned out for us. But how we arrive at those situations, like those situations are going to happen. How we arrive on them is based entirely on our own previous judgment. So an opportunity like you and I could do this podcast, uh, like you and I could have met. Now, how we could have met was on this podcast, in person, via email. I could have snubbed you. I could have been a giant dick to you at some point. Who knows? It could have been a multitude of variants, but we would have met. It's just how we would have met would have been based on mm. circumstances previously. Thankfully, right. we met in the way that we were at, and that's the way I always see life. So I told my dad, I was like, great. So you believe in predestined fate? Cool. So do you not think, and you believe that God has a plan for everything, right? Because yeah. I was like, well, if God has a plan for everything, everything is predestined, then what I'm doing right now is meant to happen anyway, because it's supposed to teach me something to set me on a certain way. And isn't it in Islam that one of the biggest things we can really do is to be independent of anyone else's needs, meaning we are independent of working for others. We work for ourselves as entrepreneurs as we are. And he was like, yeah. I was like, so are you saying that you know better than God or God has set me on a better path? And my dad just looked at me and walked out of the room. He was like, Oh, man. He's like, damn. I was like, I'm 18, mofo. I got an argumentative oh, brain. That's, funny. that's a good argument, though. Oh, I've had, so, I've, I've won so many random arguments like this with <laughs> other people. They're like, well, you can't do that. I'm like, well, let me show you. <laughs> Love that. I'm not, I say this as a non argument. Most of the times you'll just say something to me, and I've always said this is like, if I am incorrect in something and I'm presented evidence otherwise, I concede almost immediately. Like if someone is correct with something, I'm like, hey, you win. I was wrong. Let me learn your way of living and thinking because you clearly got a better handle on this. Okay to be yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I hold my beliefs as they are by hold my beliefs as ideas. So right. if, you can, if, if something is disproved to me, right. I'll hold my hands and say, you were correct. Whereas if something is- Breath of fresh air, we need more- more people who view things like that i like live in nuance you know like it's important to me (laughs) today's today's world is actually got to a point where we've we've forgotten how to agree to disagree yeah we have like it's like if you don't believe what i do you're wrong i'm like why why am i wrong and i can tell you what it is and the comedian said it best it was uh we know too much about other people right he goes, growing up he goes think about it because joe at my gas station that fills up gas in my dad's like in my car he and I have a very transactional relationship, meaning he, I go over there, he fills up my car with gas, we have a chat, we talk about uh, the Raiders, we say how much we love and hate them, we talk about like different basketball, sp- like sports, and I go home. After social media, I find Joe on Facebook, we become friends, I'm like, Joe is a, man, uh, is a member of the clan, okay, Joe and I cannot be friends anymore. It's like, you just know way too much about people nowadays. And people are just, so I actually had a conversation this morning in like my Instagram DMs about the kind of the stuff going on with police brutality in the United States right now. And I was so relieved because we disagreed, but we were able to go back and forth with voice notes and like see that we both kind of understood each other's side. And like, God, it was so such a relief, even though I don't agree with them at all. (laughs) It's like, we were able to talk about it. And I just think that that's like a missing 
piece to the puzzle right now because humans were create like we were built to have to have facial expression and tone of voice and body language um in order to reach like an agreement on things and so these escalations of of arguments happening online is actually i think could could be really dangerous for um society in the long run you know well it already is like yeah we're becoming like I hate to say, but we as a as a species are becoming stupider. Like right. we literally are going backwards. Uh, okay. Let's not even talk about the flat Earth people. Let's talk about the other people that have no common sense, where they think two plus two is a white man's way of doing things. Are you right. stupid? Right. Like genuinely, look at the history of mathematics. That is a Middle Eastern and African thing, where mathematics <laughs> actually was like born in that world. And you're like, oh no, it's white people shit. You're really stupid. Okay, look at where the knowledge centers of the histories were in our, uh, by the way, we are going off complete off topic here, but like, uh, I'll bring it back in a second. But if you look at what we are, we have that whole process. And this kind of like, so if you look at our ancestors, where they learned from Timbuktu is an African dumbass. Who do you think ran that? Some white dude? No, it was an African nation. Look at the richest dude in all of history, a guy called Mansa Musa. So rich that when he went through Egypt to get to uh, Saudi Arabia to do his pilgrimage because he was Muslim, he disrupted the gold economy in freaking Egypt by leaving so much gold that it became worthless. Oh, wow. Think about that for a second. You put so much gold into an economy that salt is considered more valuable than gold. Man. Think about the implication that <laughs> you destabilized an entire economy by walking through, a, they didn't even stop. They were like walking through it and like, yeah, we're just going to buy every good and give these people money and everything like that. And they were like, people have got so much money on the way out here. And they just had, like, if you if you factor in inflation, this dude is like 10 times more, uh, yeah, 10 times more money than Rockefeller ever could ever imagine. It's wild. 10 times over. And he was like, yeah, I just give him money away. It's all cool. Um, but kind of like bringing that back to like knowledge and education, this really comes down to how we see things such as stress and how we see harmony within our business and life. It's all that the education that you give yourself to know what triggers you and what really brings you back down to a place of agreement. Because realistically, right. I always tell people like, does that argument make you happy or sad? Totally. It makes me sad. I, I think that a really important part of this piece for me personally with business coaching is teaching people how to be able to regulate their nervous system so that they're actually making decisions in alignment with their values and not yep. just being reactive all the time. And then they end up making really poor decisions in their business that trickles down into society and the way that, you know, like the decisions that we're making right now um especially in the well in the world but in the united states as well as business owners like can really impact change moving forward with all of these social movements and the things going on so it's like i think it starts with business owners because i don't know if much change will happen if corporations don't like model what they want the world to look like um see that's anger is something that like you either are reactive and it escalates to violence or it's something that you can use as a tool in order to ignite change. So being able to regulate your nervous system kind of makes the difference between escalating to violence or enacting change and making a difference. So I agree with you. The only place that I would change that is that while businesses have that opportunity and that responsibility, they kind of don't at the same time. And the reason I say they don't at the same time is because while they have grown out to a point where they are their own political powerhouses themselves, the problem looks at look at how the institutionalized racism really comes up around that. And essentially the, and it's not even institutionalized racism, it's institutionalized classism. Mm. 
That's right. what very few people are even talking about right now is classism is a whole different topic that for some reason we've just walked away from. Right. Um, and yes, it is, they kind of go in tandem with how they are. But realistically, if you look at them from a, pla- a place of take it away from classism, racism, and look at institutionalized stress. Because if you look at a corporate place like that, it is designed to increase your stress load. So you make bad decisions, you end up angry and it completely destroys what it is. There is no work-life balance in many of these places. Right. And a great example for this is my friend is work. She's, uh, she part owns a real estate company in the UK. There's now gone into mergers and acquisitions. They brought on a couple of investment banking interns, interns that are working weekends like mm-hmm. crazy and over hours like crazy. And my friends yeah. message me going, dude, no one else in the office works weekends. Why are you working weekends? Like, oh. That's just the culture we come from, like stay late, work weekends, destroy my body, take substances to keep me going. And by the way, substance doesn't mean cocaine. It could be like energy drinks. Totally. Yeah. Just just anything that really messes your natural circadian rhythm of sleep. And then you wonder why you're so short-tempered, why you're so angry, why certain things make you emote differently. Like guys at home listening, try this out. Think of the last time you went through a book. Think of the last time you felt truly happy at peace and at work all at the same time. And then what you do is encapsulate that same feeling and go, could I, with all the workload, if I worked in a different position, a different place that was highly stressful, would I be able to respond the same way? And mm-hmm. I give you, I bring this argument to you because a lot of people don't want to see the nuance of small situations because there's right. a lot of gray. For instance, um, you might, you, you're not racist. Let's just say you are not a racist person, do not have a racist bone in your body, but you love everyone. And then one day you get pushed to the brink. It's like 48 hours of nonstop, heavy duty stress, bodies breaking down, mindset is going, you have literally nothing left. And someone just gets in your face, like a man, a woman, person of transgender, whatever it is, they get in your face. And because of your own upbringing, because you have to also bear in mind, you and I are from a different generation we still are learning what it is. Thankfully, we are adapting to what the new terms are, but it's not second nature to us. Our second nature still, I don't know about you, but for me growing up as a teenager, one of the language patterns that we used to have was saying words like gay or lame or stuff like that as a way of responding to stupidity and ridiculousness has a different meaning and context to us. In today's day and age, we say that it's crucifixion. So what I'm getting at is that essentially when you look at it from that perspective, you can get pushed that absolute limit and then you accidentally let out something that is a primal. Um, you basically go to your very primal brain and that's what comes out because it's trying to deal with something. And now you've made a huge mistake. So if you don't get your boundaries and your stresses in place where you can relax, you will in, will say uh, you'll unintentionally say something that will trigger a whole like result of negativity. And you've seen this in public. You've seen this in public businesses where someone will accidentally say something um, Kevin Durant is a perfect example with Michael Rappaport. Uh, Kevin Durant basically very recently in like 2020, 2021 called Michael Rappaport a cocksucker. And then all of a sudden, Michael Rappaport releases these DMs, which are personal and of course can be seen as um, inflammatory as well or libel. Uh, he basically ends up releasing them. And now everyone, like for a while, people are like, oh, Katie's homophobic. And it's like, no, look at the context of where he was at and how far he was pushed. And under pressure, sometimes people say the dumbest thing. Not right. saying it is correct. I'm not defending that. I'm just saying have the good grace and know what the difference between the nuances are. 
and realize, and this kind of comes back to my whole point with you, come back to the point where you realize that your stress levels are being dictated for you to break in that way. So unless you set up your boundaries correctly prior with yourself and with others, you are bound to repeat those patterns and allow other people to mess with your day. So my question to you right now is how do you find what your boundaries are? Because a lot of people don't even know what their boundaries are. I think it like the place that I start with and you're spot on, by the way, um, I really think that like so much of this work is important to avoid making mistakes in your life, whether it's just on a daily basis of how you interact with the mailman or like whatever it is, you know, yeah. something bigger that could come back to you. Um, boundaries, I think, really start with having integrity and self honesty about what you want to be doing in your life and how you want to be spending your time. That's kind of where I begin with my clients because so many of us are kind of constantly telling ourselves stories of like, well, I have to do this this way because, um, you know, even if it's just like, I have to go to brunch, even though I hate brunch because my friends want to do this thing or whatever it is with COVID. That's not a good example, but (laughs) um, he's really like, silly, trivial things that we do every day to be polite or to keep face, save face. Like those are, I think, great examples of where you can start to discern um, where boundaries need to be set. And then beyond that, you start to cultivate a better understanding of things that you believe in versus things that you've been um, like indoctrined to believe in. I think that there's a big difference between things that we are kind of identifying with, um, and things that are identified like for us. I feel like I just heard this talk about recently, but, um, like we've lost sight of, you know, Oh, I, you know what? I was listening to a podcast the other day with this guy who's like an IT journalist and he researches, the effects of social media on us. And one thing he said was like, we're, you know, you go on Spotify and it chooses a playlist for you. Mm -hmm. You go on Google and it gives, or Amazon and it gives you the things that you should buy. And my friend just joked the other day, like I always buy the stuff from what Amazon puts in front of me. And it's like, these decision-making skills are being outsourced. Mm -hmm. And so we don't really understand on like a visceral level, what we truly want and what we truly believe. And I think when you get into the practice of setting better boundaries, it reinforces that self-trust in a big way. And then it's easier to kind of make decisions in your daily life that are more in line with what you truly want. And conducive to those things as well, I agree. So my question, one of the ways I found who I am and what I want was actually surprisingly of all places due to Matthew McConaughey. Oh yeah. Um, haven't listened or read green lights by matthew mcconaughey and yeah, now one of my favorite books that do plus also i have a good voice i've been told i have mm-hmm. a great voice matthew mcconaughey's voice puts my voice to shame okay that's yeah. basically what i'm at and i was because like, i was listening to him i was like damn i mm-hmm. wonder how many women have and i mean this with no offense i wonder how many people have just orgasm to his voice like i am not surprised they're like yeah it's a unanimous thing like everyone has i'm like i can imagine that that's very much a thing the That's guy's so voice funny. is very silky. But what I'm getting at was what he told, what he said that it was really powerful to me was um, if you want to find who you are, first figure out who you aren't. Because right. if you don't know what you stand for, find out what you stand against. 
Because then when you when you stand against, like if your values are, uh, you know, I believe in equality, great. But what else? What are your values? I don't believe in people getting mad at each other over dumb stuff. And I don't believe that people should be inherently evil to others. And I don't believe that people need to stress me out in order to do things. Great. Now you understand what your values are. Like, you know, you know exactly what you're looking for. Or like, I really, making people laugh makes me happy. Okay, that's something I stand for. And you start creating these different boundaries and thought processes that end up being very, very, very good for you long-term. So I guess kind of like what we were going at there is like, if you were to give an example of how to understand stress and change your view of it, how would you do that? Because that is something that I was very curious about. So something that I find so interesting is that so many people don't understand that stress is actually something that's just an automatic system within us keeping equilibrium. Like, so it's very, you know, on physiological level it's just our body trying to keep us in balance and so many of the cues that we get like if it's anxiety or a headache or just feeling lethargic or fatigued they're not actually negative they're kind of neutral in a sense because they're just trying to communicate something to you so the problem lies when people don't understand that and so they just view these things as bad and then they kind of go into this overdrive of like I'm so stressed I'm so stressed And I actually teach my clients to like get excited about the different ways that your body's talking to you because like, like before this podcast, I always get like a little nervous before I do this kind of thing. So instead of sitting here and like taking deep breaths, I actually like get up and dance and kind of like listen to uplifting music and get that energy up instead of trying to bring it down because nervousness is actually trying to get your body to like rise to the occasion. Um, Now, if you're feeling lethargic, same thing. Like you could go for a walk or try to work out. It's just these like different ways of managing it. Um, But I think that so much of the stress caused, especially anxiety for people is kind of what we were talking about a moment ago of living out of integrity. So like we are taught to um, just really do what we're supposed to do all the time. And like, when I stop doing that, I can't even tell you like the peace that I feel in my life every day is sometimes I'm just like blown away by it. And things are so much easier. And yes, I have difficult conversations probably more than the average person, (laughs) like telling my friends, like, no, I don't really want to do that. Like, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do it. And, but it's like, you get over it and you get used to it. And they know that about me that I'm just like transparent and honest and it's, um, I, I really think that the root of so much of stress is understanding where you're in integrity and where you're not, and then starting to take the steps toward living in better alignment with your own wants and desires and needs. I agree entirely. I, so one thing I would tell everyone to do is figure out what your communication style is and what you're okay with. Mm-hmm. Because I know right. so many people that are like, oh, I hate people sending me voice messages. Oh, I don't like phone calls. Right but they never voice these things to other people. So I have, I have a rule with everyone that has my phone number. And if you violate my rule, you essentially get put on a do not disturb list where you will never be able to reach me because my whole thing is do not randomly call me because that just happened right now. One of my best friends just called me. I just hung up on her and I'm like, (laughs) it's Thursday. It's not 8 PM yet. Like between Thursday until 8 PM, I'm either all day on podcasts or not text me first. Do not just randomly think you can just, rock up um and like this is a thing i tell everyone it's like i don't like random phone calls the reason being is when you call when someone like calls my um phone 
it rings on my iPad, my MacBook, and my other MacBook. So I have like three devices all good. And yeah, and it's really disruptive. So instead, what I do instead is I just tell people, look, between my work hours, text me first. Just like, hey, are you free to talk? I'm like, yeah. And then we'll call and have a chat. It's it's fine. It's just one of those things. And that's a boundary I set that actually gives me a lot of peace. Um, totally. Also telling people how to work with you. Because if 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 someone sends you an email, I mean, I'm the king of doing this to my friend Eve, and I apologize, but she talk, she called me out on it the other day. She goes, Adel, every time you email me, have you noticed like it's it always sounds like a girlfriend going, hey, we need to talk. And it's immediate <laughs> back foot. I'm like, I don't mean it that way. She goes, I know you don't, but I swear to God, it feels it every time. I was like, oh shit, I'm sorry. That happens. So as soon as she told me that, now my approach is to. Is, yeah. hmm? But she told you. Yeah. yeah. And all I did cool. now is that I, my response was, okay, how can I best uh, let you know? She goes, yeah, if you have something to say to me, just message me. Like, hey, Eve, I want to go through this other thing. Like, hey, I just want to have a chat with you about blank, 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 blank. We got nothing negative to talk about. Just want to have a chat with you about it. Hope right. you'll all speak soon. Like, really easy fun friendly and what i found as well it's kind of interesting that's 12 hours apart that i'm having this conversation because uh, i had a podcast 12 hours ago that literally went through something similar when you can figure out your breathing and actually kind of get yourself down to a point of calmness mm-hmm. so you basically uh untrigger your central nervous system mm-hmm. what you find is it allows you to be more honest with people and things get easier and by the way oh. people are people out there thinking oh like what business conversations can become easier relationships become easier and i gotta tell you as a man when you're honest with people almost immediately to the way because like we spend the first three to nine months showing up as a representative to the people around us mm-hmm. we just do and then the real us comes out because we gotta know it's quote-unquote safe to do so right. what i've started to do on the other hand is i started to just be my 100 self always and spend the first three months just validating what i tell people because right. um the accusation is always you're lying. I don't believe you. How could you do this? Right. And you're like, get to know me over 90 days. You'll know I'm not lying. But the funny thing is doing that, just having that internal confidence of having that conversation. So much more attractive. Like it's just so much more of an attractive feature. And again, I'm assuming you have the same experience in your life where it's like, if you tell someone how you feel, it's very easy for them to respect you. Like rarely do you get someone go, oh, you're an asshole. How dare you? And if you're like, no, I just, I'm sorry. I just start vibing with you. I hope you have a great day. Best of luck to you. You know, have fun. If they can't respond to that positively, that's on them. I mean, as a woman, you have that way also, more than you do. So totally. I think it's so interesting though, because so much of this is what you decide about the situation ends up being like very accurate to the energy that you get back. So like for me, I haven't found that I've had a lot of people be terrible in response because I'm like one of my values is kindness and compassion. So like I marry that with the boundary setting and the honesty. And it's like, it's very been very easy for me to navigate um, positive situations, but then also removing yourself from those moments of like someone projecting their insecurity on you and just being able to be like, well, this is about them and not me. It's such a powerful, you know, it's really empowering to have that view. Yeah, it really is. And essentially gives you a level of respect of other people around you. Yeah, I think my internet's starting to get weird again. So uh, we're going to pause for just one second. Hold on. Sorry, guys, I had a bit of an internet connection. So I just want to pause it before I went domo arigato on you and didn't sound like a human. Um, But it's really interesting because that is exactly what I have with my values is around kindness. 
like I have this whole thing was like I'd rather be kind than be right or nice yeah actually no 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 No, being kind instead of nice yes because i found out the root cause of the word nice and i am never nice nice is like people pleasing doing it for the other person you're worried about what someone thinks and kind is just like do you want to know do you want to know what the the etymology of the word nice is because once my friend told me this i went i am never describing myself as a nice person ever again yeah what is it Nice doesn't mean people pleasing. Nice, just basically Latin word for that, is the village idiot. You know, the one that you take advantage of. It's like, oh, they're nice. I can just take advantage of them. I am not that person. Oh, it's that's like, so real, though. Yeah. Because yeah, if you're a nice person, you'll do things because you want to. Like for me, I'm one of those people that um, if someone has an issue, if I can help, I'll help. Because right. it's a place of kindness that right. I'll do it. But if someone goes, you're a nice person, I'm like, yeah, but. That just means I have no backbone. I have no right. will behind it. Because right. it's, it's um, that's why they used to say, don't take my kindness, do not mistake my kindness for weakness. And the reason right. that phrase is around is because a lot of kind people in the olden days, people try and take advantage of them and make them nice. And then you catch an ass whooping from them. And you're like, oh, this mofo was like straight up going, he's going to kick my ass if I step out of line. All right, cool. He's kind, but he's brutal. It's fine. You got to find that balance. Yeah. Um, or as one of my favorite lyrics by Immortal Technique is I balance humility with brutal instinct I'm like that's true because humility and kindness are good niceness is stupid so stop being nice and stop being kind totally yeah that changed my life when I had a mentor I think I had like a terrible sales call that I stayed on the phone for like an hour and 20 minutes or something (laughs) and he was like Courtney no that's being nice like you get off the phone as fast as you can when that happens and I was like okay yes you the the words shit or get off the pot are definitely (laughs) a thing like that is one of my that is still one of my favorite things um (laughs) ever (laughs) it's just that have that and by the way the more authentically yourself you can be the more you can go into the works of being more uh, so one thing i'd recommend to everyone personally is look up Dr. Brienne Brown. Like, oh, not even think she is a doctor, but like Brienne Brown's work around vulnerability actually factors into knowing how to lower your stress and set boundaries. And that kind of marries your work almost perfectly. So while Brienne gives you a lot of ideas around vulnerability, what you do is give applied ideas on how to create that stress relief by becoming vulnerable, or if I'm not mistaken, would you say that's around the realm that we go be going in? Totally. Her book, Brene Brown's book, The Gifts of Imperfection was one of the first... Um, like self-help books I ever read like six, seven years ago. And that's exactly what all of this is. Like when my, my clients come to me about stress and I start talking about communication and boundaries, they're like, wait, what? <laughs> like That's where this is, um, where all my problems lie. And it's like, absolutely has to do with being okay with being vulnerable. Cause how can you set honest boundaries with people or communicate properly if you're not willing to be vulnerable? So, yeah. Yeah. And there is a lot to be said around that. Like being communicative is so, and again, it all comes down to this egoic thing that if I say it, then they're going it, it go, it's that insecurity. That's really what it is. By the way, if you guys want to know what the definition of insecurity is, is I don't trust the other person to do what they say they'll do because given the same situation, I would do what I think I would do. Mm. Like for instance, if you're in a relationship and you don't trust your partner, guess why? You don't trust yourself. It's mm. nothing to do with them. It's that you don't trust you. Right. Mm. And yeah, it's, I know a, it's such a pro- projection. It's like, yeah. 
start to realize that it's it's so easy to just like be chill about few other people's behavior. It's the whole thing. It's like if I'm pointing a finger at you, there are three coming back to me. Right. Yeah, because like uh, just anyone like trying this out, just like point with your index and look where your uh, was it pinky ring and uh, middle finger are all pointing. They're coming right. right at back at you. So you're like you're arrogant. Okay, there's three coming at me saying that I'm three times as well. So you got to know where it is. Um, one of my questions, cause we're like coming up to the end of the show, I wanted to ask you was if you had five book recommendations or actually, are you more of a reader or more of a movie person or both? Reader for sure. I do okay. love movies, but I have this like amnesia thing with movies where I don't remember, <laughs> yeah. but books, I love to read. I'm reading all the time. Okay, cool. So my question to you is, uh, what are actually, or even TV shows? I want three movies or TV shows and seven books you'd recommend. And by the way, the, the criteria for this is these are just books and movies that you'd recommend to almost anyone. Okay. Um, three movies or TV shows. I don't know if I'm going to be able to, I'm like, I'm not a huge TV person. Okay. So we'll scrap that and go with 10 books then. Okay. 10 books. So I think Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown Without is one of the best books that I've ever read um dear sugar or tiny beautiful things it's from her column dear sugar by cheryl Strait. it's an amazing book i'm just like looking up at my favorite books that i have here peace is every step by Thich Nhat Khan. it's like one of my favorite mindfulness books that i've ever read um the body keeps the score about mm-hmm. trauma being stored in our body and how to overcome that um how many is that that's four? three three four three. Four, 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 four. Yeah, you got four there. Um, the Alchemist. One of my favorite all times books. I read that. Like three, five years or so. I read it. I read it on October. So just everyone knows uh, the day after my birthday, which is my personal new year, because it is three months before everyone else's new year, uh, October 1st. What I do is on October 1st, I do my entire goal setting for the next 12 months. And then I read The Alchemist. And I get through The Alchemist in a single day because yeah. I'm not even reading. I'm just like, I'm speed reading through it because I've seen, I've read it so many times. Totally. It's such yeah. an amazing book. Yeah. Um, the Deepest Well. I don't know if you've heard of that book, but it was, okay. it was written by Nadine Burke. She's a doctor in the Bay Area in San Francisco who uncovered the way that stress impacts inner city communities and um but then also was able to like adjust her research to how it affects everyone and stress is like the it's just we all need to manage our stress better it's a great Mm -hmm. book um okay i'll go off of my my list up here so five more I'm always like going blank when I'm put on the spot. <laughs> well, if we if if we just start with those five, I was gonna say if we if we stop at those five, we can do, which is fine. But like, uh, let me throw some business books out there too, because yeah, the, coaching habit, the coaching habit is a book that everyone could benefit from. It's all about how to ask the right questions and listen better in order to like just be a better friend. Absolutely and all of it um when things fall apart have you ever read that book by pedro codron not yet no it's another 
like Buddhist view of how to get through hard times in your life. Um, and traction, if you're into business at all, traction is like one of the best foundational books for how to run your business um, with systems. Yeah. I can respect it. I'll give. Um, I'll give oh, and you how to be an anti-racist? I just read, and that book I blew through it, and I will be reading it multiple times. It's an incredible resource. That's pretty cool. That's <laughs> pretty cool. I have to check that book out. Uh, one other book that I'd throw in there just for funsies for my own, like some that really helped me quite a lot with understanding my own self um, was Robert Greene's The 48 Laws of Power. Mm, I haven't read that. Or basically, I always tell people read every Robert Greene book under the sun. Yeah. The reason basically being is that dude is a genius when it comes down to how people think around power. And the problem that we have is power is seen as such a negative word, but the realistic the, re the reality is if you don't know how people cultivate power and how they keep it, you're never going to be able to empower yourself to get out of the shit that you're in. So it's a really right. good way of looking at it. Uh, one of my last questions before we wrap up is simply this. Life and stress essentially kick you in the teeth and kick you in the balls and kick you in the lady bits all day long and sometimes knock you on your ass. My question yeah. to you is, what do you do to either like protect yourself and get an ass whooping that's too bad and holds you down? Or how do you essentially circumvent like bad days from taking over? perspective i think that having the perspective to view challenges as opportunities always and the process of really truly feeling things like i just went through something in my life recently and it was the first like cute i went through a big breakup and it was the first huge thing like that that i had to do sober and i felt the shit out of it and I got over it like extraordinarily quickly. Like I've been like, whoa, like how am I already completely back on my feet and like optimistic about the future and not stuck in this place. And I truly believe it's because of stopping and acknowledging the humanness in our processes emotionally and really feeling into things um, and allowing your stress response to do what it needs to do in order to build resilience. So like if you ignore your stress response and um, don't face it and act like it's not there, then you literally release different hormones into your brain and you won't be as resilient. So it's very important to have the perspective that you are creating resilience and at the same time, acknowledging your humanness and allowing yourself to feel all the things. That's awesome. So guys, I told you at the end of the show, you're going to want to run to our website and find out more about her. Head on over to CourtneyPeacock.com. Get onto a mailing list. Find her on social media. I think you're better off finding you on uh, Instagram because I think you have a Facebook page as well. So IG is your spot. What's your IG handle? Just at CourtneyPeacock underscore. Okay, CourtneyPeacock underscore. Uh, just put that in. Guys, we'll have the link to the description as well, uh, to your IG as well. So guys, go follow her. Find out more. Rate, review, subscribe and share the show, apply the stuff that we've told you, check out the book recommendations, and most importantly, have yourself a stress-free, relaxing weekend and set your damn boundaries this weekend. Find out what it is and set them. Take care and have a great weekend, guys. Bye.